Luke chapter 1. Feels like the heat's working. Isn't the heat working? Is it working? Huh? Someone call Claude. Tell him never mind. He's here? Oh. Well, maybe that's why it's working. <laughs> maybe that's why. Luke chapter 1. Okay, last week we talked about God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. This week we're going to talk about with God. With God, nothing will be impossible. This is recorded for us in the Scripture to remind us that we are a people who are never without hope. For we have a God and we have a power working on our behalf for a greater good and a greater glory. This is God with us, and this is the promise that with God nothing will be impossible. The eternal promise of God with us is fulfilled because of the infinite power that comes with God. These two promises are given to us in the Scripture, the promise of God with us and the promise that God, that with God nothing will be impossible. Two promises that God has eternally fulfilled. So let's read in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26 through verse 38. Follow with me. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What we see through this is that God uses all sorts of means in all sorts of ways to accomplish his people, uh, to accomplish his purpose in his people and through his people. One of the first things we see here is that God used an angel to accomplish his will. 
the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a virgin, to a young woman betrothed to a man. There was a specific angel sent on a specific mission. Gabriel is the same angel that 500 years earlier appeared to Daniel and gave to Daniel the timetable of the coming of the Messiah. Six months before he appeared to Mary, he appeared to Zacharias and Elizabeth and told them that they would have a child in their old age and in their barrenness, and this child would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And then we see Gabriel appear to Mary to announce that she would conceive and bring forth a son in her virginity, and this son would be the Messiah. God used an angel to deliver this message to Mary. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 the Scripture tells us about the angels. It says, they are, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? You know who that is? That's us. Now, I don't know. Anybody here ever seen an angel face to face? I haven't either. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen. But I think we would all agree that angels appearing to people and talking to people is the exception by far, not the rule. But that doesn't mean that angels aren't still at work. That God is not still using angels to do His bidding, to bring about His plan, His purpose, to accomplish His will, because I believe they are. I think this is why the writer of Hebrews writes what he writes. And the point of the writer of Hebrews was to explained to the children of Israel, these Hebrews in Italy who wanted to go back to Jerusalem and sacrifice animals in the temple, he said, don't you realize Jesus is greater? Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the angels. And explaining that Jesus is greater than the angels, he gives us this glimpse, this picture of, of what angels do. He says, they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. That's us. They minister on our behalf. God uses them on our behalf, the heirs of salvation. God's angels are His ministering spirits sent forth to minister to His children, to His servants. They are rarely seen they are rarely heard, but they are sent by God to do His will on behalf of His children. The writer of Hebrews also tells us that don't resist entertaining strangers because you never know when you might, unaware, entertain an angel. Now, I don't want you to get all caught up about angels. The point of this sermon today is not angel worship. It's not for you to start looking for angels everywhere. It's for us to understand that God uses all sorts of ways in order to bring about His will, to bring about His purpose. God used an angel to deliver this message to Mary. I want you to also see that God chooses unlikely people 
in unlikely places, using unlikely things to accomplish His will. God chose a young virgin in a small village in a less than prominent region at a time that was, at the very least, less than convenient for everyone concerned in this story. God can and does choose all sorts of people and things to accomplish His will. God will choose to use people and things that are qualified, people that are equipped, and the obvious choice for whatever God wants to do. But I want us to also understand, and the Bible is very clear in its teaching and in its encouragement to us, that God loves to use, and most often does, choose those people and those things that are not qualified, not equipped, and are anything but the obvious choice. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29, Paul writes, But God has not chosen, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. God sent his angel to make known his plan, not to the powerful, not to the influential of the world, but to the weak, the unknown, and the unimportant in the eyes of the world. Think about it. When the angel came to Mary, he came announcing the coming of the king. But he didn't tell the world. He didn't go to the most powerful person in the world who would have the greatest influence in the world that could get the information out to the greatest number of people in the world. He went to the most contrary, least likely place according to worldly thinking, according to the way the world teaches us to do things, to make known the coming of the king. And choosing Mary and Nazareth and Galilee, God chose the foolish, He chose the weak, and He chose the despised. He chose the things that were not to bring to nothing the things that are. God has been choosing and using unlikely people and unlikely places and unlikely things from the beginning. He did it then, and He still does it today. You and I are chosen not because you and I are the most qualified or most obvious, not because you have attained to some level or position through your gifts and through your talents or through your hard work. You are chosen simply because God chose you. You have been chosen that His strength would be made perfect in your weakness. You have been chosen not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. This is why we can 
not despise the day of small beginnings. The Bible says that. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Jesus says to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient, for in your weakness my strength is made perfect. Paul said, I would rather rejoice in my infirmities that Christ would be glorified. I would rather rejoice in my weakness that Christ would be glorified. When we are tempted to lament our situations and our circumstances, when we are mindful of all that we lack, when we look at the, the amount of resources we do not have, to accomplish what we feel God wants us to do, we need to remember that God loves to take those people and those places and those things that seem least qualified, least likely to succeed and use those things in their weakness to demonstrate His strength and His power. And in that reality, we all have a reason to rejoice. We never have a reason to despair, but we always have a reason to hope. Because we don't have to figure out how we're going to do it. We just have to trust that God knows how He will do it. I don't have to worry and stress about how I'm going to accomplish what God wants me to do. I simply have to trust that God will make sure that I am able to accomplish what He wants me to do. God chose the weak. He chose the unimportant. He chose those who had virtually no influence and he did that for his glory. God's method and God's work in accomplishing his will can cause us to be greatly troubled. Now, if we are not trusting God, if we're focused on our own resources, our own abilities, if we know God has, has told us that this is going to happen and we're trying to figure out how it's going to happen through our own abilities... Mm, that, might, that might be a problem. And so I think this is a reality that we very often see that God's method and God's work in accomplishing His will can cause us to be greatly troubled. And this is exactly what happened with Mary. Mary, seeing the angel and hearing his words, the Bible says she was greatly troubled. Now what it says here about Mary... It says that when she saw the angel, when the angel came to her, she was greatly troubled. And she said, how is this going to happen? Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider this. It says, when Mary saw the angel... Now, Mary is in her house. It doesn't tell us exactly what Mary is doing. But let's assume that Mary's just doing what she would commonly do. And all of a sudden, this angel appears to her. Now, 
Mary, obviously, like you and I, were not, she was not in the habit of entertaining angels. And you can imagine if you were just in your house doing what you do, and all of a sudden an angel walks in. I mean, you'd be startled if just a strange person walked in, much less an angel. And it says, when this angel came to Mary, when she saw him, it says she was troubled. That phrase there, she was troubled, actually means, actually what it's conveying is that she was greatly troubled, she was greatly agitated. She wasn't just mildly startled, she was in shock. And she wasn't just in shock because of the appearing of this supernatural being. She was also in shock because of what the angel said to Mary. So it wasn't just his unusual appearing. It was the message that was also greatly troubling and greatly disturbing to Mary. Nevertheless, when we get to the end of the exchange between the angel and Mary, what do we see? We see that Mary makes this declaration. Let it be unto me according to your word. So Mary was not only young, she was not only inexperienced and virtually powerless, she was a woman. And the reality is those types of declarations, those types of things were not, were not first told to women in that day and in that age. It just wasn't the way it was. This is really the amazing thing about the account of the resurrection of Jesus. When you go from the birth to the resurrection, what you see is that the first people that were told of the resurrection by God were women. And God did that on purpose. Now, if men were going to write the Bible in order to make it believable to the people of that day, the last people they would have written as the first to know would have been women. Because, because it wasn't credible testimony in that day. What did God do? God says, I'm going to do exactly what the world says we're not supposed to do. I'm going to tell the people, I'm going to tell the women first, and, and they're going to have to deal with it. Just like this, the angel wasn't sent to the most powerful man on earth to tell him about the coming of the king of kings. The angel was sent to the mother of the king, who wasn't a powerful woman, who wasn't a rich woman, an influential woman, but was a, a young virgin in an obscure village from a less than prominent place. And this was going to be the mother of the king of kings. She came from royal lineage. She was of the line of David. But there was nothing about Mary according to the world's standards that should have made her the mother of the king of kings. And that wasn't an accident. That was by design, by God. Because God loves to take the weak things and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And this is what was so troubling to Mary. 
what the angel was telling Mary was very disturbing because from her own question, how can this be? I have never known a man. This salutation of the angel, the news that he carried and everything about what was happening flew in the face of conventional wisdom. It went contrary to the way things were supposed to be done according to the world Mary lived in. I'm not supposed to have a baby before I am married, and I'm not supposed to have a baby before I have a relationship with my husband. How can this be? Not to mention, what is everybody, including my betrothed, going to think when I turn up pregnant? Yeah, right. An angel told me? God did this? What was immediately disturbing to Mary was more than the supernatural appearance of this angel. It was what the angel was telling her. Mary did not know how this would be worked out. She didn't know how it would turn out for her. But here's what Mary knew. She knew it was the work of God. So she accepted it even though she no doubt did not understand it. See, God doesn't call us to trust Him with all the things we understand. God calls us to trust Him, period. That's the end of the sentence. This is God. Here's what I want you to do. You listening? Trust me, period. Well, wait a minute, God. This is what we want to do. Wait, wait a minute, God. Can, can you explain to me? No, I'm not going to explain to you. Trust me period. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't ever explain to us, but I think all of us probably, I mean, even in this small group that we have here today, I, I would be willing to bet if I interviewed each of you personally, one-on-one, -on -one, the vast majority, if not all of you, would tell me that the way God works most frequently, almost always in my life, is that I have to trust Him, and I don't have all the answers that I would like to have. God expects me to trust Him, and He doesn't always explain to me how this is going to actually work out. That's where Mary was. But what we see Mary doing is exactly what God calls us to do. She asked a very important and very basic question. It wasn't a question of doubt. It was just a legitimate question. God's not concerned with our questions. Ask Him questions. But at the end of the day, if God doesn't give you the answers you want, God doesn't give you all the information you want, we still are called to be like Mary. We say, let it be unto me according to your word. That was Mary's response. She placed her hope in God in all that would be. Listen, church. She placed her hope in God. She placed her hope in all that would be that was not then. At that moment, Mary couldn't see how it was all going to work out. At that moment, Mary didn't know 
what Joseph's response was going to be. At that moment, Mary had no idea what everybody else in her life was going to think. She had no idea how this was all going to actually work out. But she put her trust in God, not because of what was at that moment, but what would be. Because she believed and she trusted that God would work these things out according to His will. Which tells me that Mary had an inherent understanding that if God is doing this, if this is His will, if this is His purpose, I believe God is good and God will take care of me somehow, some way. It's going to be okay. God's work, God's method created in Mary much trouble, much agitation. But at the end of the day, Mary, in faith, says, let it be unto me according to your word. And in response to her question, how will this be? This is what the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come to you. The Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. God accomplishes His will in all things by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. While Mary could not grasp how all of this was going to come about, the angel informs her that it will be the work of the Holy Spirit that will accomplish this. This is like the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, recorded for us in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, when they're rebuilding Jerusalem. The captives have come back from the captivity in Babylon, and they are rebuilding the city, and they're rebuilding the temple. And the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel was not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And this is exactly what the angel is telling Mary. Mary, the Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Church, this is what God is saying to us today. The Holy Spirit has come to you. The power of God will do this. It's not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Mary, seeing the angel and hearing his words, was greatly troubled. The angel's response was to inform Mary that it would be the person and the power of the Holy Spirit working to accomplish God's will. The angel informed Mary that her barren relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, was six months with child. Another miracle. Evidence. Another miracle more confirmation that what Mary is hearing is indeed from God. The angel reminded Mary in supreme exhortation that with God, nothing will be impossible. The implication being that Mary could be assured that God would do what seemed an impossibility in her circumstance. In other words, Mary, trust God. For with God, nothing will be impossible. 
God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He often equips and prepares and makes ready in ways that we will never see, in ways that we will never know, in ways that we will not be able to perceive until we find ourselves right smack in the middle of God's plan and purpose. Until we are presented with that plan of God right before our very eyes. Don't think that God came to Mary one moment too soon. Mary, as young as she was, had lived her life and unbeknownst to Mary, God in His grace and God by His Spirit, God had prepared Mary for this very moment when that angel, when heaven would invade her world and tell her this truth, tell her, present to her this gospel that would be so incredible that it agitated and disturbed her greatly because in her mind she could not see how this was going to happen. But even in the midst of that, God in His grace had prepared her and brought her to a place so that her response would be, let it be according to your word. And that response from Mary came by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what God does in our life. God right now is preparing you for whatever He has for you. God has been from the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb to this very point, God has been working. God has been working in ways you have no idea. God has been doing things that you can't see with your eyes. God has been working in ways that you could not even perceive with all of your senses. Yet here you are, and whatever God has for you, God has prepared you for it, whether you realize it or not. And one day, something's going to come right into your life, and it may be very disturbing to you. It may be very it might create great joy. It might create great distress. But whatever God brings to you, know that God has prepared you for that moment. And you can, like Mary, respond in faith and say, Lord, let it be according to your word. But God will, in His time and in His way, reveal Himself to us and make known to us that with God nothing will be impossible, even when everything looks impossible, even when it looks anything but possible. God will bring us to the place of knowing that there is Truly nothing impossible with him. God elicits faith from the heart of his servants to accomplish his will. The revelation of God's will and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit elicited faith from Mary's heart. It elicits faith in the heart of God's children. This is the power of the gospel that the angel delivered to Mary. Mary's response was, let it be unto me according to your word. Mary was greatly troubled, but Mary exercised even greater faith in God. 
The faith Mary demonstrated was gifted to her by God. It was drawn out of her heart by the power of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit so that Mary would walk in God's will and accomplish His eternal plan and purpose in Jesus Christ. In the face of the impossible, Mary cast her gaze upon God and very simply and very powerfully replied, let it be unto me according to your word. God will elicit faith from your heart and your faith that came from God, that was given to you by God, will be drawn out of your heart for His plan and His purpose in His time and in His way. God in His grace works in you and draws out of you that necessary faith to see His will accomplished in your life, through your life, for His glory. It's not that Mary was somehow special. And it all worked out for Mary because, well, she's Mary. But I'm just me. And I'm not as special. And I'm not as important. Don't do that. This is exactly why God chose Mary. There was nothing special. There was nothing important about her. She was like every other young girl who lived in the land at that time. What made her special was God's grace. What made her special was God chose her. There wasn't something about Mary that made her more qualified. It was the grace of God. There's not anything about you that makes you less qualified. It is the grace of God. What God did for Mary, He will do for you. What God did for Moses, He will do for you. What God did for David, He will do for you. What God did for Joshua, He will do for you. And He will do it for you because of Jesus Christ. Not because of you and not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. The promise that the Holy Spirit will come upon you is a promise for today. The promise of the Holy Spirit is a promise of power. Power to eternal life in Jesus Christ. By the Spirit, God is working His will in all things. By the Spirit, God is accomplishing His will in you. By the Spirit, God is accomplishing His will in His body, the church. He's accomplishing His will in Christ's fellowship. He's accomplishing His will across the earth in His church. In all the earth, He is accomplishing His will on earth, even as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus taught us and commands us to pray. When you pray, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God causing it to be on earth as it is in heaven? He is doing that by the power of His Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise 
that God is with us. This is the guarantee. He didn't just leave us an empty promise. Paul writes in his letter, he says, God has given you a guarantee. He's given you the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is the promise that God is with us and that with God, nothing will be impossible. That's good news, church. I want us to prepare to come to the table. And as we prepare to come to the table today, as always, we come remembering the death of Jesus. This is what Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. As often as we come to this table, we come proclaiming the Lord's death. We come remembering the death of Jesus, which calls us to our remembrance of His birth and reminds us of His coming again at the consummation of all things. Advent is simply a word that means coming. Christmas is the celebration of Christ's coming. When He came, He was born in a manger. He was born as King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming again. And He will rule and He will reign. We come to this table and we are reminded that God made a way where there seemed to be no way. He did so by the body and the blood of Jesus who willingly gave Himself for our redemption on the cross. I invite you, church, to come to the table. Here's your charge, Christ Fellowship. Be faithful like Mary. In the face of absolute uncertainty, in the face of seeming impossibility, look to God. Hear His Word and trust His promise. Know that God has not given us empty promises with empty words. God has given us promises full of power and full of hope. Remember, He did not only speak, but He came. He did not only come, but He lived a sinless life. He did not only live, but He died. And He did not only die, but He was raised in resurrection life and power. He ascended to the Father. And He did not only ascend to the Father, but He received a kingdom with all authority in heaven and on earth. And He has poured out His Holy Spirit upon all His redeemed children. And as His child, as His disciple, as you are raised in His life, go in His power. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit that has come upon you. Christ came to save the world. Christ fellowship, believe His promise. Go and make His salvation known in word and in deed, letting all know that God is with us and that with God nothing will be impossible. Let's pray. Father, pour out Your grace and do Your work in us by Your Holy Spirit that we would be a people trusting in Your promise, walking in Your power, knowing that with God nothing will be impossible. Do this that Christ would be known 
the church increased and your name glorified. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Let's all stand.